Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC, it's your favourite football podcast. Back for another week and with the Ballon d'Or impending, it's time for us to take our annual ranking of who Sam thinks will win the Ballon d'Or. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today and joining me is the Rank God, Mr Sam Tai. Hello my friend. Hello my friend, congratulations on surviving the weekend. You did what Ollie didn't, um, you survived the weekend which was your stag and uh, Ollie's no longer at the wheel. Yes, Sam won Ollie nil. Brilliant, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Um, yes, uh, you guys were there. I'm sure we'll get a little bit of content out of that later uh, so that people can understand or, or people can hear what, what is safe to communicate about what transpired over the course of the weekend. But first and foremost, we'll do the Ballon d'Or first, which to be fair, it was probably it's just, it's just as gruesome a topic because you know I don't like this one. No, you. Uh, this is this is basically cannon fodder for for you to get your mentions ripped apart on Twitter for the next week. But it's exciting you know because I I'm like really, looking at it. I'm really hopeful that now that I no longer work for Bleach Report and I'm therefore no longer <laughs> exposed to that very strange, wider, casual, rabid, militant audience. Um, You've used loads of words there that all are just like complete opposites of each other, which I quite enjoyed. Casual militants. Casual militants, yeah. I mean, casual football fans, but militant on one particular subject is probably how I'd put it. And nothing distills that and brings that into focus better than the Ballon d'Or. And it is, I am very hopeful that now that we have just a much more sensible, dedicated audience, we could have a sensible adult conversation about it without throwing around a load of death threats. No, everyone yeah. who's listening, please post this in the comment section on any BR post in the next three days and just make sure that Sam gets heard by that entire audience again. Absolutely. Oh, and there he is, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, Hello mate. mate. I'm okay. You, I'm all right. You sound the most well out of all of us, which is a good thing. Do sign. I? I keep having to clear my throat here. I think it's because of the cup of tea I just had. It seemed to have got stuck in my throat, oh, um, which is a bit annoying. Oh, cup of tea, was it? Mm. Always choke <laughs> oh. on cup of tea and water. Right, uh, that's a that's a good start. Let's let, let's do some things we love, shall we? Dean, do you want to start us off? The thing I love is that suddenly Mauricio Pochettino is favourite to be the next Man United manager, um, and this is this is a big deal, and this is quite exciting if you're a Man United fan. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer finally gone after the board dragged out his reign as long as they possibly could. They've now taken this decision to look for a new manager and made the bizarre statement that Michael Carrick is in temporary charge while they search for an interim manager before they search for a permanent manager, which is very, very strange. They've kind of gone back on that today and now there's briefings that, well, if the right man comes along, we might just put a permanent manager and it's like, okay, what are you talking about here? Just get on with it and find a manager. Um, <laughs> anyway, the reason I think that they're starting to reassess this is because there are various outlets now all of whom have clearly been briefed by Pochettino uh, and the Pochettino camp that he is interested in this job and that he would be willing to leave PSG if they are willing to pay the compensation to get him out. Now, it's obviously very interesting, like PSG 
big ambition this season. Uh, want to do the Champions League? They are they are pl- they are playing Manchester City this week, so there's that's going to be interesting for him to answer questions after that. Um, knowing that he's now favourite to go to the other side of Manchester, he was Fergie's favourite to come in for a good few years now. He had a lunch back with him in 2016, which you still see pictures of every time Man United uh, start to talk about a new manager. There he is, Poch, going for lunch with Ferguson. Um, the last time Ferguson uh, appointed as accessory, it went well, didn't it? Mate, the thing is, like you look through, I was like, it's so complicated how Man United get to these decisions. You've got like the Glazers, then you've got Ed Woodward, you've got Richard Arnold, you've got John Murtagh, you've got Darren Fletcher, you've got Matt Judge, and you've got Alex Ferguson involved in these things. Like out of all those, at least Ferguson knows what he's doing and what he's talking about. And Cristiano like, Ronaldo. Yeah, and Cristiano Ronaldo, <laughs> who will be... I imagine, I imagine, lads, the next Man United captain. Surely that can continue with Harry Maguire in this state. But anyway, let's see what Pochettino decides to do. Because, yeah, he has emerged today as as the favourite to take this job. Um, To get him out of PSG, it's going to cost £10 million compensation. Um, Would he leave right now? Well, look, there's, there's various articles stating today that Pochettino... Not completely happy. Like he's faced a lot of criticism over his tactics and his style of play since he's been at PSG. He's having to deal with the constant pressure of playing Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. Hasn't got the power that he he would like at the club. There was a lot of talk about Donnarumma when he came into the club, um, giving him a selection headache because he was already willing to go with Kayla Navas as his number one. Like there's been all sorts of issues there um, since he went in. There is not really much chance for him to stay at this club for like five, six years. Like ideally Pochettino likes to manage an entire club. That's not really going to happen at PSG. And Man United are looking for exactly that. So it might be on, lads. It might be on. If he doesn't do it, then we're talking like Zidane will be in the frame. Brendan Rodgers will be in the frame. But I just think it's really interesting that today, as we're recording this, Mauricio Pochettino is the favourite. And a lot of the people who are writing about him being interested are the journalists that I know for a fact are in with the Pochettino camp and are clearly writing this with some guidance. Mm. It, I mean, it, it's very interesting, isn't it? it? It's one of those. But I do think there's a kind of, I don't know, I suppose it's probably a backstory, but alas, it is a, it's a story nonetheless that Poch leaves now. He will go down as the manager who lost PSG the league title to Lille and then couldn't incorporate Messi, and, <laughs> Messi Mbappe and Neymar into the same team. That's not a great look, is it? <laughs> No, I don't know if he cares though. You know, I don't, I don't know how much people care about these things. Like, he's not going to read. He's not going to be on Twitter searching what people think of him, is he? Um, and yeah, and from Sam the, will later. <laughs> from the PSG angle, do they just go for Zidane instead of Man United? Of course like, they would. Yeah. Surely Zidane to PSG is a better fit than Zidane to Man United, and everyone would be happy, right? Yeah, that's, well, the, that's the right way around. Hundred yeah, percent. Seems right the right way around, doesn't it? It feels it feels like a better fit. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, my thing, my love, is that the third favourite for the Man United job is Steve Burke. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is a good angle, thing we love. So you know, having been on a stag weekend, I've actually watched startlingly little football. But the games I did choose to watch over the course of Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, I did. I, I was treated to some really very special kicks of the ball. Now, first of all, we're talking Joao Cancelo's ridiculous outside of the boot assist for Raheem Sterling, which is just one of the most gorgeous passes I've seen in a long, long time. I watched it a lot of different times from a lot of different angles and it just got better and better and better. And then in the same game, Rodri goes ahead and scores the goal. Let's face it, we're all desperate to score. 
Imagine if you scored the goal that Rodri scored, running onto that ball from 20 yards out, hits it as hard as he humanly can, and it just rifles into that top corner. What a strike to be proud of. And then, of course, Monday night, I'm sort of chilling out, still recovering. Uh, you know what? I'll flick on um, I'll flick on Udinese versus Torino. Why not? Why wouldn't I watch that game? And five minutes in, Josip Brakalo scores a genuinely gorgeous strike that... I've been trying to rank them 3-2-1 in my mind and I'm really struggling because they're all worthy of the number one spot. Brecolo picks up this... this uh, well, The goalkeeper smashes the ball forward and Belotti heads it backwards having won his duel with the centre-back and it falls to Brecolo who's running onto the ball similarly to, to Rodri but he's further out. I'm going to put him at about 30 yards and rather than hit it as hard as he can he guides it with his instep <laughs> shapes it round the defender and curls it into the corner and the goalkeeper who's completely wrong-footed, taken by surprise because he hits it so early and just falls over and barely gets anywhere near it. It is the most beautifully guided strike. And another one I would just be so proud of. So three strikes of the ball, three moments of sheer immense quality that made me squeal genuinely. Cancelo, Rodri and Brecolo. I didn't watch much football this weekend, but I picked the right moments and the right games. Yeah, I mean, you've got some, you've got some good guys. I mean, look, there is just that can that Cancelo pass. I just think, you know, one, he's been obviously watching John McElserry, um, who does that every week for Fulham. But more than more than that, it's just one of those things where Cancelo just seems to keep getting better every week. He's like, oh, I wonder what I can do this time, um, and it just keeps getting more and more intriguing. And and here we are, you know, at this point, going, what a player, what a player, and uh, mm. you know what, it deserves all the credit. I'm sure it'll be in your Ballon d'Or ranking, Sam, right? Yeah, so we're Brecolo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we are. The whole thing, the whole thing. Um, okay, let's move to my thing we love. I'm going to go to Italy, where the game of the weekend took place uh, on Saturday evening in Florence, where Fiorentina ended Milan's unbeaten start to the season with one of the most chaotic, defensively mad games of football I have ever seen. Starts off. In the 15th minute, where stand-in Milan goalkeeper Tatrasanu has a nightmare, frankly, and drops the ball from a corner onto Alfred Duncan's foot to, to give Fiorentina the lead. Uh, and then they make it two on the stroke of halftime with Ricardo Sapinara, who was basically you know, kind of at the end of his career with Fiorentina at the end of last year. Everyone thought he was gone. He was out on loan. Um, and Italiano, Vincenzo Italiano has come in and he's made him really part of the the, the system and the, the setup again. And he rewards him with an absolutely gorgeous curler um, that, that puts Fiorentina 2-0 up. And just after halftime, Dusan Vlavic takes the ball on the run. It's one of this three of the best touches you will ever see, right? Takes the ball on the run. First touch, kills it into his stride. Second touch goes around the keeper and third touch from an impossible angle fires it over two sliding defenders into the roof of the net from basically the goal line um, in terms of whether, you know, where it would go off for a goal kick. Um, it's an absolutely incredible goal. Fiorentina, 3-0 up, 60 minutes and cruising until they decide to literally shoot themselves in the foot twice. Um, and the, two minutes later, they just give the ball to Zlatan in the box and he sort of looks at them confused and says, thanks very much, uh, and scores. Then he scores a second, five minutes later, after some good work from Teo Hernandez. Um, and then it all basically just evaporates. Uh, and Vlavic scores a, a fourth goal after, I have no idea 
what, what Milan are deciding to do. They're just sort of passing the ball around on their edge of their own box and then they just give it to Vlahovic who sort of gives them the same look that they uh, Ibrahimovic had given to the Fiorentina defenders a couple of minutes beforehand and goes, thanks very much, I'll have my second. Uh, in, in extra time, then it becomes 4-3. There's a little bit of a scramble, but Fiorentina get it done. But just an incredible game, you know, from, from Fiorentina being 3-0 up to suddenly it being all in the balance again, to Milan then throwing it away again. And the, the chaos in injury time, just a glorious feast of football. And Serie A's had a wonderful weekend in, in general, really, um, in terms of great games and, and great entertainment. Um, but just an, an, another nod for uh, Felix Afenajan, who came off the bench to secure Roma's victory and uh, probably gave us the nicest story of the weekend as well in that... Mourinho had promised to buy him some trainers that he wanted if he came off the bench and scored. Um, Mourinho's got a new sort of darling star boy uh, in mm-hmm. Felix Afenajan and um, he scores two absolutely glorious goals against Genoa to give Roma the victory to kind of keep them in the running for where they want to be, really. And, and look, Mourinho's got someone he can hang on to and start to hang his hat on as well from, from a wide position. We've seen him a couple of times now come off the bench for this Roma side. Um, and now he's got his first two goals in Serie A. Um, and, you know, I think we've got a little bit of a star on our hands. So, yeah, there's, there's lots to like. So I liked this story a lot until I saw the shoes. I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> they're Bad. awful. They're, they're oh. mate, they're, they're those like scuba Balenciagas, the ones that look like, oh. you know, di- like divers wear on when they're Honestly. stepping on coral. I, I, loved, I loved the story until I found out what the shoes were. Oh, never mind. That's funny. Balenciaga are getting to the point. There's there's a new trainer that they've just released, actually, and it's so bad. It's like a proper, like, dad trainer, like a Mizuno running trainer, it looks like. like it's, it's awful. And it's like they are pushing the boundaries to be like, what will you lot actually pay a £1,000 for? Like, it's just a social Balenciaga in on. 100%. Yeah, it's a social experiment because it, the, it's, yeah, I agree with you. I know I'm older, but this is absolute nonsense and needs to stop. But lovely goals. Lovely, <laughs> lovely goals. And a lovely <laughs> story, right? Them next week in the pitch. I, I, I don't know. Him. Look, I a couple of years, a, a very few years ago, Felix Afenajan was playing schools football, not even, you know, professional football, schools football in Ghana. And now he's coming off the bench to score two crucial goals for Roma. He rejected an international call-up in the break so that he could work with the team and start to get himself into that set up and, and, you know, feel like he was really getting into part of this team. And suddenly it looks like we've got a breakout star on our hands. And I think that's a, that's a really cool vibe. So I, I'm in. Good luck, Felix. Yeah, let's let's focus, on, focus on that bit. Yeah, let's, let's focus on the positives, right? Just because you two are old and don't understand what trainer culture is anymore. Um, you know, it doesn't, yeah, doesn't that's not it, it mate. That's, that that's not what's it, happening here. I think it might be. I think it might be, right? <laughs> After the break, we've got Ballon d'Or ranking today. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main ranking. And Sam, the floor is yours for your favourite part of the year. Yeah, it's time to rank the Ballon d'Or candidates. The ceremony is next Monday, so we will not have an episode before then. And to be fair, the voting was pretty much tallied up and done by the end of October. So at any point in November, it's pretty safe to discuss because apparently the voting window is just January to the end of October. Feels like it gets shorter every year, guys. Shorter every year. Soon we'll be handing it out in February after one month. Um, But obviously, as you know, this is my least favourite subject. However, more than happy to address it because everyone loves this. This is is one of the football's biggest topics. It's a big deal. 
It is a big deal. And my my top five is, you know, as we go through it, it's it's how I would vote. You know, if I was handing out this award, if I was in charge, and frankly, I, I should be, uh, this is how I would I would set the podium. And just a little note, I've done some goal tallies as we go through. The tallies are calendar year, January 2021 through to October 2021, because that's the voting period. It's not last season, it's not this season, it's it's that, it's that period. Okay, into number five which is where I have put Mohamed Salah of Liverpool. And this one felt like a very difficult placement. I'd say when it comes to the Ballon d'Or stakes this year and Mohamed Salah, it kind of feels a bit paradoxical because fifth kind of simultaneously feels too high and too low, depending on how you feel. And it depends on how you value this award and how you decide it. So the argument for him being too low here is he's been an absolute machine this season and well, for most of the year, he stepped it up another level. He scored a ton of goals. Some of the goals he scores, the individual quality on show, have been absolutely ludicrous. And yet the argument for him being too high is, well, the typical currency of how you win a Ballon d'Or is trophies. And he's won nothing because Liverpool have won nothing. So you sort of weigh it up. And this is where the individualities comes into it. How do you weigh the Ballon d'Or? How do you decide the individuals that that deserve it? And ultimately, you go with your gut and you go with what feels right. And I've put him fifth. All right, he hasn't got the big trophies that the others have got. And there's a couple of players that we've left off the list that have won serious trophies and, and Salah's in at their expense. But this is an individual award for individual players, first and foremost. And this guy has undoubtedly been one of the best individuals on the pitch this year. Mm, I, I mean, this is it. it. It really is about how how you judge it, right? I, I, I mean, obviously, we're going to have to go through the whole list before we do honourable mentions, do people that I think might should have been in there, whatever it is. But I have a funny feeling that because Salah's in here, you've missed out someone I would have put in absolutely Jack, dead I'm, set. I'm confident that you have a short list of 85 players you'd just like to briefly mention at the end of this one. Because <laughs> but judging by the last podcast we did, there is a, there's a big old list uh, but yeah, I'm sure look, I've missed sometimes out. Sometimes you've got to talk about lots of things. Well, look, there's loads of players who have had wonderful years, right? That's the whole point. But yeah. you know, Salah, Salah this season, we've said it numerous times, right? Has been the best player on the planet since the start of the 2021-22 season, right? Hmm. That's where that's where we're at in terms of what we're looking at Mohamed Salah. With. The problem I have with that is that yes, he was good last season. There wasn't anything won, and I think if we were talking about you know, a Ballon d'Or or whatever award it is, even if it was the whole calendar year, you know, even if it got to December and this was being judged in January, you're then talking about, you know, five, six months of him being the best player on the planet. And I think at that point you're going, right, fair enough. But I think at the moment with the, with the, the way that this works, we're talking about three months of Mohamed Salah mm. being the best player on the planet. And I'm just not hundred percent sure given the lack of trophies that I'd have him in here. But look, I, I completely appreciate it. That's not to say it's wrong. It's just, it's just it's tough, definitely not it? wrong. Mo Salah is definitely in the top five here. Like, I, what date did the voting start, stop, Sam? Do you know the exact date? So they supposedly they've, they'd had it all done by the end of October. So anything from November inwards is, is basically redundant. Well, well, like, he actually, his form was literally until the end of October, wasn't it? He was scoring in every single game, apart mm. from one. Like, the second game of the season against Burnley, he didn't score. But, from then, from 14th of August all the way through to 24th of October, Salah was scoring every single week. So, like, 
it's that thing about like freshness in your mind. And at that moment in time, all the conversations were like, Salah is the best player in the world right now. So I don't think there's any doubt that this guy is going to be in the top five. I think what helped swing it as well as potentially a little bit of recency bias there, but some, just the quality of the goal, just to go back to like what he did against Watford and what he get he did yeah. against Manchester City. That's definitely a little... A little um, a little edge that he has yeah. on, on some of the players that you're looking at because he he actually blew my mind several times in the last three months. And if this is an individual award, then that's kind of what it's about. Yeah, and that's right at the cutoff of voting as well. So it's yeah. like, if you're like, oh, I don't know where I'm going. Oh, mm. wow, look at that. I'm going with him. Like, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. He's only fifth, guys. He's only fifth. Yeah, only fifth. Okay. Best player in the world for the last three months is only fifth. Um, go on then. That's number four. At four, at four, and I struggle to, to figure out which one goes fifth, what, which one goes fourth, but I, I'm sticking to this. I'll take Karen Benzema of Real Madrid in fourth. I tallied up the statistics and yeah, <laughs> 40 goals and 14 assists in 59 mm. games. So just under a just under a one in one, basically, in terms of a ratio for, for production. Look, it was a little bit frustrating for him at certain points last season. He constantly felt like the bridesmaid, you know, second in La Liga, Champions League semi-finals, Supercopa semi-finals, and actually Real Madrid exited the Copa pretty early. And then in the summer, you know, gets back into the France squad. And this is something for Benzema that, you know, we haven't really been able to judge him on for a long time because he's not been part of the team. And they go into the Euros as favourites and that collapse against Switzerland, which has absolutely ruined, you know, the potential narrative arc for him there. And then finally in October, he wants something. <laughs> he won the Nations League. Scored in the semis against Belgium, scored in the final against Spain and France sort of pulled those games out of the bag and they won it and he got his trophy. Not going to lie, if he hadn't have won that, it's possible that he may not have been here, but scoring 40, assisting 14 and scoring like really consistently as well. We're talking about Salah and his production levels this season. Benzema is, is neck and neck with him. Goals and assists, he is pretty much bang on level with Mohamed Salah. And if you go back through his latter stage games of last season, okay, Real Madrid didn't fare so well in some of these important games, but he was always scoring and he was the one. He is the one that the entire attack runs through. And yeah, there was very few individual players more important to their teams than Benzema last season. And that's continued through this season. Yeah. What I like as well, I mean, look, the thing that Benzema's got on his side here is he's, He's at Real Madrid and, and Real Madrid are, are good at driving agendas when it comes to Ballon d'Or season. <laughs> and and I've seen a couple of times like from the account, from their main account, tweeting Benzema Ballon d'Or related stuff. And there was particularly in the Nations League, they they tweeted at French football, Equipe de France, about, you know, Benzema put him in the frame for Ballon d'Or and that's his own club like making sure he's in that conversation now a lot of clubs don't get involved in that kind of stuff but Madrid love to believe they've got the best player in the world so they will very very happily push this stuff out there to help their players get recognised and you know obviously Benzema's been doing this for years and he deserves to be recognised anyway but they'll make sure that he's in that chat do you know what? As well, it, it's the irony is that if there's if there's if there's one set of players that you wouldn't need France football to be pushed to be recognised, it's the French. Apart <laughs> <laughs> from weirdly, it is. I'm pretty no. I'm pretty sure that France football know that Frenchman Karim Benzema has had a good year. <laughs> well, they'll, they'll they're be aware. Sure. Yeah, I think it is one of those weird ones because because there's been such a narrative around Benzema, right? And look, I love I love Mercedes Benzema more than more than anything, right? I think he's brilliant, and I absolutely agree with his inclusion here. It's just a really weird one because obviously 
France football are there going, oh, he has been out of the picture for a little while and then suddenly came back into the picture to a World Cup winning team and they weren't as good anymore. <laughs> and, and then there's this kind of really strange feeling. And then suddenly they won the Nations League and everything was okay again. But there was that kind of moment in the summer, right, where it was like, oh, hang on, is has this ruined everything? Yeah, um, and then, look, that's, no, it, yeah. that's no slight on Benzema, right? Like, obviously, we know how talented, how wonderful Karim Benzema is. There's no discussion about how much of a wonderful player he is. And look, his relationship with Vinicius this season has been nothing short of, of remarkable, especially when you consider that like less than two years ago, he was like, pulling his own teammates aside and saying, don't pass it to Vinicius. I swear he's playing on the other team. Um, yeah. Like, you know, we, that, there's a real, real curveball there. We've had a real redemption arc between Vinicius and, and Benzema. But on the whole, like, th- this is just such a, an important year. And, and if Madrid, honestly, I do think if Real Madrid had won the league last year, we'd be putting Benzema right up at the top of this list. But because they didn't, and because they fell short, it feels like this is probably about right. Yeah, I know. And look, yeah, the France the France thing got a bit muddled as it did. And it was not his fault. It was potentially Deschamps' fault for putting him in with such short notice and changing everything. But he still, he held up his end of the bargain, didn't he? He got four in four at the Euros. He got two and two at the Nations League. He's got four goals in the World Cup qualifiers since he's come back in in five. He's scoring pretty much every time he hits the pitch for France. And he he is doing very well. Griezmann's had to change his role a bit to make this work. But with a few, with it, with another year under their belt, you're looking at this France squad all of a sudden, this new formation with Benzema up top, and you're like, oh, yeah, they're well back in contention for this World Cup coming up in a year's time, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely, no doubt about it whatsoever, whatsoever. Um, so yeah, let's um, let's move it on, Sam, to three, shall we? Number three, and it's another Frenchman. This is where I have put N'Golo Kante of Chelsea. So when we're talking Ballon d'Or contenders. I think a quite a big part of this is obviously they need to be the best players in the world. It's it's the best players in the world who have had the best years. And an easy way to define that is which of those players have kind of stepped up when it matters the most and put in big performances in the big moments. Big games, big trophies, big performances, big players. The word big is happening a lot here. It's featuring a lot. <laughs> Kante has so much of this in the bank over the course of the year. In Chelsea's run to the Champions League final, which they won, he put in four man-of-the-match performances in seven knockout games. And that includes both games, both semi-finals and the final. He was absolutely stunning. I just couldn't believe what I was watching on a consistent basis, just swarming all over Real Madrid, both legs, disrupting Manchester City brilliantly. This relentless energy that we know he's got, brilliant in transitions forward and back, important ball carrying, tons of tackling, lots of disruption. Obviously, it's not a surprise when he steps up and does it the first time. But when he does it like three games in a row, semi-final, semi-final, final, and the consistency is there, he just found he found another way to make me appreciate him. And then the good thing about Kante, of course, is he goes back to club level and um, he just does it all again, doesn't he? In a blue shirt. And then he goes on to uh, goes off to, to France and he does it again in another blue shirt. And look, Chelsea's best players last season for me, Kante and Mount, somewhere between those two. Kante got the big, the big Champions League nights down. And then I think he's been his usual self this season. So I don't really like the fact that like, we do, do we, we, we decide so much of the Ballon d'Or in the first half of the year. But that's just because it's a silly calendar reward and football doesn't run like that. But those are the most important games for a lot of these players. And in those most important games, Kante was the best player in most of them. Yeah, no, I think this is this is it, isn't it? And 
Yeah, it's a really strange one because, again, we, we're talking about French players here and going, if France win the Euros, does Kante win this award? And I think the answer is probably yes. Like, yeah. it, you know, yeah. it just feels like there would have been no other option but for Kante to win it if France had gone and won the Euros. And they didn't, obviously, and that's not N'Golo Kante's fault, let's put it that way. Um, but there is this kind of level of... Also, you know, so much of this is done on individuals. And we were talking about Salah's run of, of goal-scoring form, right? And we talk about Benzema's numbers. And it's so hard to transpose that onto a midfielder, especially one who doesn't, you know, weekend aside, come up with, <laughs> come with that many goals and assists, right? Um, but Kante is absolutely faultless for so much, so much of any given year. Um, and so much of the Champions League last year, he was just unplayable and just kept Chelsea going time and time again. And for them to turn so quickly from a side under Lampard, who looked like they were going out of a tournament, who looked like they were, you know, dipping out of various things. And then suddenly they, they go on and win the Champions League. And they've started this season as well, like a train top of the Premier League. And Kante has just been, you know, crucial, especially to that Champions League run, you know, but every time you look at Chelsea, you're going, which player would you take out of this entire Chelsea side? The answer is always Kante. And that's usually a good, a good kind of barometer of just mm. where a player lives in the in the kind of best players in the world debate. Yeah, I think I think he was helped as well by the arrival of Tuchel at Chelsea. I, th- I think that 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 certainly took him to another level again. Um, you know, he was probably plateauing a little bit, and then Tuchel, who's always been an admirer of him and and tried to sign him before when he was at PSG, you know, felt that he could have a bit more freedom because he can cover so much ground. There's no reason for Kante to be limited in his play in midfield. And one of the messages that he gave him was to to go forward and be more confident. And Sam talks about the games he got man of the match in. And it was partly because of that, because he's able to roam more, he's able to drive more. But the players know that no matter what, he'll be back in position and helping them defensively when he's got to be there because he can outrun every single player on the pitch in whichever game he's playing. So, yeah, I think he was really helped in that sense you're right like if France would have won the Euros he'd obviously probably been top of the list um, you know Benzema not helped in his cause of, of being the French player that wins this award because there's already somebody in his own team that's better been better than him across the course of the year so the, the ranking is right in that sense um, and I think there's the also you know the fact that I've never met anyone that doesn't like Kante. Like this would be a very, you know, just reward in a time when we're all looking for good news stories. Like Angola Kante winning the Ballon d'Or would please pretty much everyone. You're like, <laughs> I'm a Fulham fan. Don't like Chelsea, but I've got nothing against Angola Kante, and never would do. <laughs> it's such a good point. You know, just just because we're all looking for good feel good stories, give it give it to Angola. Everyone be, everyone will be happy with it's, it. Won't it's they? reason enough, and just say that's the reason. Yeah, he's just yeah. a really nice bloke who's brilliant at football. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Sam uh, leaves two spots. Um, I reckon I could probably guess who's going in them, but I'm interested as what the order is. Yeah, is Mitro okay. one or is he two? Uh, he's probably he's probably both with the goal scoring <laughs> form he's on at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can't yeah. work it out yet. Go on. Yeah, so number two is Felix Afella Gian. Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's it's Leo Messi. I've gone for Messi in second. Messi of still feels weird to say. Paris Saint-Germain. Um, now, if Salah was a bit of potential recency bias, I'd say Messi is the complete opposite because I really did have to sit there and remind myself of just how influential he was for Barcelona's second half of last season, just how incredibly good he was. And, you know, you look at Barcelona now and, and the state that Ronald Koeman ended up leaving them in, 
compared to what Messi was putting down second half of last season. It really does hammer home. Just to remind you, Messi scored 23 league goals in the second half of the season, last season. Second half of the season. I don't along really remember that, it. Along I really eight, can't remember it. I got, well, it was one eight, of those where... It feels so weird to hear you say that because I, I don't really recall Messi being that player. There's that moment, right, where it felt... Do you remember how far Barcelona were off the pace at Christmas? Yeah. And then yeah. with two, three weeks to go, Barcelona were a point off the title. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Barcelona lost a game which would have left the title in their own hands. Um, which mm. is bizarre to think about considering how far they were yeah. off it. And... If, you know, yeah, part of that is is Atletico falling off, and they did fall off. Um, but on the whole, you know, the fact that they managed to claw themselves even back into that title fight, and considering how far they've fallen this season, it does remind you of just how influential he was. Absolutely. Yeah, tw- yes. Yeah, so the second half of the season, twenty-three league goals, eight assists in the league, so thirty-one goal contributions in in basically about eighteen games. Um, he also put in a brilliant performance in the Copa del Rey final, scored twice to defeat Athletic Club 4-0. Yeah. Um, and that was all sort of January to April. <laughs> um, and then he goes off on international duty and he finally wins this international trophy that he's been searching for for so long. And okay, look, he didn't win it himself. Argentina had a very good copper. Argentina had some extremely important players throughout the team. And Scaloni did a really good job of moulding an actual team for the first time Argentina has seen one in a long time. And that Emi Martinez was huge in goal in a penalty shootout. Uh, Rodrigo de Paul was fantastic. The runners wide of Messi, like Nico Gonzalez and Angel Di Maria, they, they worked incredibly hard to make this team work. But Messi still managed four goals, five assists in seven games and mm. one and won the trophy. And then he had the best holiday ever for about a month. Um, for, unfortunately, that may have been where his football year stopped. Uh, roughly July. Had he gone back to Barca, been allowed to, and continued his heroics, Messi may have a one in front of his name instead of a two in my list. Had he walked into PSG and ripped it up, that might be the case. But mm. clearly he's been injured. He's been absent a lot basically since July, we haven't really seen very much of what many people consider to be the actual world's best player. Um, So I didn't feel that comfortable putting him at number one, to be honest. So I ended up going at number two. There is a moment here that this summer's Copa America is the first, let's say, senior trophy that the Argentinian national team have won since 1995. Right In, In that period, they have had... You know, Juan Roman Riquelme, Pablo Aymar, Gabriel Batistuta. There are, you could ream this off, you know, you could reel this off for, for, for kind of months. How many brilliant players have walked through the Arby Celeste ranks? Please for months on that, oh, please. I, 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 we did that last week. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go back into Argentina and in internationals again this week, right? But there is a point here where, you know, that is in itself to be able to restore a top level trophy to an international powerhouse that has been in the shade for such a long period is just one of the most immense achievements ever. And and yes, you're right. It wasn't just him. And for years, it felt like it has been, right? And he's been triple marked and quadruple marked because teams knew that without Messi, Argentina didn't have anything in the tank. But the kind of, I I suppose, genesis of this side and the synthesis of of, of the kind of team that, that Scaloni has put together that, has meant that teams can't do that anymore, has started to free Messi. And 
the fact that we saw him, yes, okay, the final wasn't his best performance, but, you know, the semis, the quarters where Messi is winning free kicks, laughing at people scoring the free kick. Um, you know, when we saw him in that kind of joyous form, it really did bring it home how important and how wonderful it was and the celebrations. And, you know, we talked about last week about the, you know, the fact that the Argentina camp feels so together and so, you know, innately focused on one thing again and it feels like it is Messi that has brought that back together you know under Scaloni sure but the players and the things you were seeing after the Copa final in the posts from his teammates saying you know every single one of them queued up for a photo with Messi to put on their Instagram you know to with him <laughs> trophy them thanks very much so glad to do this for Leo and it feels mm. like I don't know there's there's something all innately in this that's building up towards is next year a World Cup year? Is it going to be that? Is it all this? That we, what we're aiming for here is one thing. And that's what the PSG things are all about. Obviously, he scored the weekend in Liga. He's finally got that, you know, duck off his back, if you will. I think it will be fine. But I don't think we're going to see this kind of mad, insane Messi at PSG, especially in the league. We might in the Champions League, but especially in the league, I don't think we're going to see it all that much because I think there is a single-minded focus goal here, which is Argentina at the 2022 World Cup. And I'm intrigued as to how this plays out. Yeah, we've given him a lot of crap yeah. on the old uh, PSG form. And look, he's not really been around for it, but he actually has four goals and an assist in 685 minutes. I'm not saying it's he's been better. good. He's, he's, getting, he's getting a bit better. He's definitely getting better. He's actually been all right. It's just that we judge him to such a high standard that five goal contributions in 700 minutes is just rubbish for him. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the other thing, right? So obviously since 2008, the only other person to have won the Ballon d'Or, apart from Messi and Ronaldo, is Luka Modric in 2018. So Messi is the holder of this trophy right now. It was 2019. Me and Sam actually went to, to that award ceremony a couple of years ago. There wasn't one last year, obviously, because of COVID. Um, so Messi, Messi has it. He's the record holder. And... You, th- you think about like for someone else to win this award, it's it's pretty extraordinary, obviously. And like for Modric to do it was like a big deal, wasn't it? And it was what did he, I mean? If you think, I'm not what, sure. F- I'm not sure about that. <laughs> like, as in, still not sure that that was the right idea. No, that's what I mean. But it was ex- extraordinary in the sense that like it, you're not sure it's right. And I mean, that year Messi didn't finish in the top three, and Ronaldo came second. But. Um, it takes a lot for Messi or Ronaldo not to win it. And in a year when, you say, as you say, Messi's won an international competition, he has had unbelievable form at some stage in the year. It means somebody has to have done something extremely special to, to have beaten him. So has your number one done that, do you think? <laughs> well, I think so. And uh, at, number one, <laughs> at number one, I've picked Robert Lewandowski of Bayern Munich and I've essentially distilled this into three different key elements. The first one is, first of all, you put his case forward, like ridiculous goal scoring year once again. Mm. I've hand counted those stats from January through to end of October. Um, Bayern and Poland, 2021 calendar year. It's 46 games, 56 goals, eight assists. So it's 1.2 goals per game or 1.4 goal contributions per game over a 50 plus game span. So the consistency levels are absolutely ridiculous. And ultimately, he's been the best guy out there doing the hardest, most important thing in football, which is to score goals and win games. And his importance was clearly underlined when 
Bayern Munich lost him to injury against PSG in the Champions League. They created a billion chances, failed to put them all away and went out. And you just know that if Lewandowski had been there, then Bayern Munich not only go through that game, but quite possibly go ahead and just challenge for that Champions League again. The Champions League, of course, that he led them to in the previous season. So that brings you to the second key point here, which was he was robbed in 2020. He was an absolute shoe-in for the Ballon d'Or when Bayern won the Champions League, won the treble, and he put up very similar numbers. And France football cancelled the award because they couldn't have a nice ceremony due to COVID. So Lewandowski is owed a Ballon d'Or. And then to bring those two things together into key number three, and this is the really important bit, I'm giving this Ballon d'Or out here and I'm not willing to put my sympathy and sentiment aside. There's a reason for that though, and it's because I don't think any of the players that we've talked about so far did enough to make me put that sympathy and sentiment aside. I don't think any of their calendar years were good enough for me to go, okay, fair enough, Lewandowski was robbed, but you have been so overwhelmingly amazing that I'm willing to do this. And maybe if, for example... Kante had won the Euros, we'd be talking about something different. Maybe if Messi had dragged Barca all the way to that La Liga title, we'd be talking about a different story. But we're not. I just don't feel like any of them did quite enough. And combined with the fact that Lewandowski once again scored so many goals and won so many trophies that I uh, I could go in any other direction here. Yeah, no, I think this is fair. It's um, it's a really good one. It's a very, very good point, and and it does feel like, I think that last point is so crucial, isn't it? Right? It's that yes, there is sympathy. Yes, there is sentiment. Yes, there is all of the above in terms of, you know, you can't, you do have to sometimes put that aside, but only if there's good reason. Mm. And 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 I think that is it. It's that yes, people have had good calendar years, and, and Benzema's had a wonderful calendar year. Messi probably you know comes closest. You, you've put him at two, um, but on the whole, you know none of it has been. You know, Mo Salah had a good year. He's been exceptional second half of the season. Messi's had a great year. He had an exceptional first half of the season up to July and then he's dropped off. There's been drop-off periods for everyone else. Meanwhile, Lewandowski has just carried on scoring goal after goal after goal after goal, setting record after record in the Bundesliga. And and what you're looking at is then a player who goes, he goes, all right, come and take it off me. I dare you. And and it does kind of feel in that, in that regard that it's a fair point at top. I, I do appreciate it. Mm. But I'm sure that you'd have Messi first. I would, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, but, but also, I weigh, I weigh internationals higher than you, which, which actually brings me to my next point, which is that I think that the player here, and there's going to be lots of chat about Jorginho, right? And, and I, don't think it's, I don't think it's there. I don't, I don't want it. I don't want any of it. But what I do think there's a genuine case for is Nicola Barella, um, mm. who... I think if you look at what he did last year from centre midfield, he played 60 games um, across the course of the season. He got six goals, 17 assists in those, 43 for clubs, 17 for country. In that time, he won Serie A. He won the best midfielder in Serie A, team of the season Serie A, and then went to the Euros, won the Euros, scored the crucial goal in Italy's probably most difficult game against Belgium um, and and scored that winner. Don't even start it. Um, it. You know, I think given all of those things against the side ranked number one in the world, he was the man who made the difference. I would have had Barella in here at five. That that's my that's my only only objection to your list. Ooh, I think Barella has done enough to to justify being in the top five as well. And I saw today he wasn't nominated 
for the fee for the best award and it made me really angry really angry um because i just think that he's done so much he's been he was i think inter's best player last year i think there's a case to be made that he was probably their most important player uh, the year is he wasn't their best player but i think he was their most important player in the way that the fulcrum works um and then you get all that together and i, I think barella deserves to be in this conversation realistically mate yeah, he's not getting in above most salary is he no, it's sure, just not sure, going to happen. No. Like in this in this kind of competition, because yeah, of how yeah. it's judged, like that's the problem. Like I love your narrative and I love your reasons and all the rest of it, but, but this, this wasn't this is who a, do we think is going to win it? It's who that's what the Ballon d'Or, right? No, I know, but, but the Ballon d'Or is a, is a personality contest as well, isn't it? And it's like they can't leave. Like Mo Salah's not going to be vote undervoted in that sense that Barella's going to going to beat him in there. No, I um, agree. I don't no, think Morella will be in the top five, but I think he would be in mine. That's all I'm yeah. saying. I mean, I think I think he's my number six. I absolutely yeah. love what Nico Barella did last season, and he was very, very, very good for Inter. I'm not sure that he was quite as good for Italy as I was expecting. Maybe is the is the right way. I'm not. I don't want to say I don't think he was as good as you did. Maybe I just was thinking thinking there'd be a bit more from him. I don't think that's held me back, to be honest with you. I don't think that's I don't think that's the reason. I just think he's he's an unlucky number six is probably where you end up with it. Fair. With Messi, what about the fact that it's clearly not as good a year as most of the years when he's actually won this award? Do you think that goes against him at all? Maybe you look at the year that Modric won it and you were talking about it the other way and, and Messi had an unbelievable year, didn't even make the podium and he'd had a better year than he'd had in some years that he'd won it. Um, <laughs> and I think that you, you look at that and you put that in context and you think maybe it's not held against him in terms of what he's won. But again, I probably I probably weight international trophies probably higher than some people do. Um, yeah. People will say that the Champions League is, is the most important thing. I would argue that Euros or a Copa is as important as a Champions League uh, for me. But that's that, that's... You know, depending on what you how you look at it, I suppose. Fair enough. I love I love the idea of of the of the international trophy being the most important one, but I just don't think we're there anymore. Not in twenty twenty one. It's not the highest standard of football you can find, and the most no, important, the, purest, the, biggest, the biggest trophy that you can you can conceive is the one where the highest possible standard is played, and that is the Champions League. Mm. Or the Europa League, depending on what you're looking at. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so. Like, you know, it's all good. I think that's probably a good place to call it. Unless, Dean, there's any other mad candidates you wanted to chuck into this no, list? No, as I say, Mitrovic was the only one I'd really <laughs> throw into the frame here. Uh, he probably, his goal scoring run came slightly too late this season, unfortunately. He'll have to yeah. take it next year. Also, yeah, as an aside, obviously, we, we now have a Yashin Award. Um, someone please tell Kayla Navas. But the best goalkeeper, undoubtedly, this year was Eduard Mendy. Champions League winner, brilliant, and this season has an absolutely ludicrous save rate. Is is the reason that Chelsea are currently you need to you need to take on average twenty eight shots on goal to actually score one against Chelsea, which is absolutely <laughs> insane. So well done, Eduard Mendy. I fully expect him to receive the best goalkeeper award. That actually goes against logic because when I was a kid growing up, my granddad would be very critical of me, and he'd say, "Have ten shots and one will go in." That's not true, is it, Grandad? Not against not Edward true, Mendy. Mate. Not if Mendy's in goal. I have to have 28. <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably slightly. Probably His record was probably about right for, for where you were playing, to be honest. 10 shots, one game. Yeah. <laughs> no, the under 10 goalies back then were very, very good. It was actually Lev Yashin himself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, right after the break, we're going to be having a Melon of the Week and, of course, a gibberish rankings, which this week is going to be about Sam Stagdick. Welcome back to Rags FC, where it's time for everyone's favourite part of the week. It's time, Dean Jones. It's time. It's time for Melon of the Week. 
Uh, this week's melon of the week is Pepe Reina. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, yeah, another goalkeeper I've had to give it to. Can't ignore it. When they make clangers, they really do make clangers. And Pepe Reina, well, I was literally laughing um, watching this and I had to rewind it and watch it again because I, I could not believe what I'd seen. Um, Lazio played against Juventus and uh, one nil down. Juve go on the counter. They break away. Chiesa goes down the left side. Um, and the camera's kind of like zoomed quite close in to Chiesa charging down with a defender behind him. And then suddenly, out the corner of the screen, Pepe Reina's there and they zoom out and he's out on the corner of his box, but te- like almost 10 yards out of it to chase Chiesa. And Chiesa's straight past him. He misses him. And you're like, what are you doing out here? Like, Chiesa had a lot of work to do before he was going to score a goal from this angle. He's like 40 um, yards from goal on the touchline. Miles out. And then Reina panics, obviously, does a quick turn, sprints back into his own box, or well, sprints as fast as he can at this point of his career. And Chiesa continues his run, cuts back into a much more um, sensible position to shoot from, knowing that especially there's no goalkeeper in, at that moment. And as he gets more central, he's about to pull the trigger. And Pepe Reina just comes in with the most ridiculous, clumsy, sliding tackle. It's like a, it was like Boris Johnson in that rugby video that he did years <laughs> back. It just clatters into him. Absolutely no doubt it's a penalty. He only gets a yellow card. I mean... Surely that's a red. It's just oh. ludicrous goalkeeping, and it denies him shooting. Um, I'm glad you've scored the penalty because absolutely deserved to. It, it was just, look. There was a lot of bad defending in Serie A last weekend, but oh, there was, wasn't there? This was the most melanish thing I saw. Um, and if you haven't seen it, go and check out those those highlights of Juve against Lazio. Because honestly, Pepe Reina, you are a melon. This is great. I thought you were going to see. The panic, the panic as he's sprinting back and he's running. He's trying to close the distance between himself and Chiesa. And you can see in in his mind, he's fully gone. And he's like, you are not scoring this goal. (laughs) This is not happening. If I have to give away a penalty, if I have to get red carded, whatever. And he just goes straight through the back of him in the box. Unreal. (laughs) Straight through the back of him. Don't you think that's a red? Of course it's a red. red. I mean, why has he not got a red card? There's a couple of players on the line, isn't there? I don't care. It's just ridiculous. You're supposed to to send them off if there's no real attempt for the ball. I know. I just think that sometimes you have to be like, hang on, I've got to take this (laughs) with my own hands. (laughs) You've got to to do some interpretation. I really thought you were going to give this to Harry Mags. I I really did. I thought this was a Maguire shoe-in. The way that that he gets sent off, especially given that, you know, obviously United had clawed one back against Watford. And then the next thing you see is, Donny van der Beek sending Ronaldo through and Ben Foster makes a wonderful save. Your man, Ben Foster, Dean, um, mm, makes an unbelievable save. Um, and then suddenly it's all United. And then Harry Max just does that. And you're like, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, he dribbles across his own box almost, doesn't he? And takes a heavy touch and does a lunging tackle and is sent off. I mean, it's it's, it's pathetic, isn't it? it was, but that's, what, that's the reason it's not that melon issue because that's just peak Harry Maguire at the moment. Like That's just what he does like every week. As it's, I say, how he how he's a Man United captain at the moment, I do not know. He's having a tough time. They're all out of form. They're all out of form. Everyone in the entire United squad is out of form. Um, yeah. So so there is that. There's apart that from Van der Beek. Apart from Van der Beek, he's in the best <laughs> form of his life. He's just got to come yeah. on and scored. <laughs> and should have got an assist. And should have got yeah. an assist. What a season. Uh, what season he's having, indeed. Um, right. <laughs> what, a week, what a week he's having. He scored a goal and the manager that hates him has gone. 
That sounds like a broken microwave. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> this is why we don't let Sam. This is why we don't let Sam do the gibberish at home. I got, I got a speed. I got a speedboat as well. <laughs> you sound like you're gargling mouthwash. Um, it's, it's not great, right? That is the gibberish. Well, I'm about to do it because Jack can't physically do it at the moment. I no, can't I physically do it. Um, there's also the element that I'm supposed to be talking through this gibberish, so it'd be weird to alarm myself. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, you can't, you can't be doing that. You have to, you have to be signalled in, right? It's like a plane landing. You have to get the cards out and all sorts. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is time for the gibberish rankings, um, which is basically some of the things we can tell you about Sam Stagdo um, and some of the funniest things. stories. Some of the funniest stories that came out of it, uh, and I'm going to start. Uh, number three, uh, with that we met someone who I can only describe as a, like if you ordered Conor McGregor off Wish.com. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know Wish.com, they send you knockoff things um, that are, are of real brands. Um, so we are in the pub. We're watching Liverpool versus Arsenal. We're having a good time. Um, Sam's friend Matt and his best man is currently in the process of every time Mikel Arteta comes on the screen having a genuine fit because he dislikes Mikel Arteta so much for reasons that he could not describe to anybody, um, which was interesting (laughs) enough. And then suddenly the next thing is I have turned around and there is a bloke in a kind of herringbone suit, shirt, jacket, waistcoat, trousers with little wire glasses um, and who is built like an absolute tank, um, but quite small sitting next to me. And I'm like, okay, um, I don't know who you are, but you are sitting in Sam's mate's seat. So that's, that's, that's interesting. Uh, He proceeds to then continually talk at everyone for, you know, I would have, I would say about 15 minutes um, without anyone being really un- able to understand what he's saying. One, because his accent was incredibly thick. Um, but two, you know, I can usually deal with that. Two, I don't know how how many pints this man had consumed, but it was it must have been a lot um, because he was not making any feasible sense during the whole game. We were like, you know, I've turned away. I'm like, I'm going to just watch the game and hope that this man goes away, preferably. Um, I tried to talk to him for about five minutes, realized that there was no conversation to be had. There was no logical trains of thought going on. It was, there was nothing to, to hang on to really. And he, when I turned away to the screen, I looked back at the corner where I, and he is shadow boxing to himself. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is going to go terribly. There is a small man who looks a bit like McGregor shadow boxing next to my face um, mm. while he's absolutely off his tree. Um, yeah. So the and, that, and was, that was, was amusing. And he was off to work in half an hour. He was. That was the only bit of the conversation. I mean, he was like, I've got to go back to work. Go back to work. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think you're in any fit state to be doing anything, mate, apart from maybe going to bed. It's like it's like 6 p.m. We, yeah. You should you should not be this wrecked. But uh, oh. he was. So so that was an enjoyable, enjoyable. Sam, thankfully, was at the other end of the table. Um, so he didn't get to didn't get to have a conversation with this nice man. Um, but he did get to look on and laugh hysterically while it was happening. So, mm. so that was enjoyable. Um, second on the list is a couple of us had gone out to watch Leicester Chelsea and some people had gone back to the flat we were staying in. And on the way back, we stopped into a couple of bars by the Cavern Club um, to watch a couple of games, see some of the music. And they had Sky Sports uh, TV printer basically work on the screen. So we were seeing the goals roll in uh, as, as you came in and there was lots of people enjoying that. And that was great. And we were like, this is good. And uh, anyway, we then go back to the flat. We go back to the flat to witness Sam and two of his mates sitting on the sofa watching 
Teletext. Now, if you don't know what Teletext is, it's basically a service from before I was born um, that used to be on TV in the UK um, that showed the scores and among other news and things uh, as they came in, but not particularly as they came in. So it refreshes every sort of two to three minutes uh, where you see if there's been any update on the score resist. It is literally just text on a screen. Um, that was that was the extent to which the football was being watched at 3 p.m. on the Saturday. Um, now, this was all well and good. I couldn't how to use the TV. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> it was it was a really intriguing way to watch football now this would have been okay apart from obviously i have the live score app great service if you don't have it you really should download it um and i was looking at it and as the scores came in i was going oh lads you know norwich have scored another one against southampton and sam refused to acknowledge any score until it had come up on the teletext um now this was fine apart from the teletext sort of flickers back and forth so the goal would come up and then the next time the page reloaded, the goal would have gone away again for a bit. And then after that, it would come back. And so Sam, you know, where, where different goals went in, Sam had to do various drinks and so forth. Um, we had to, he was doing a shot at one point for a goal that had gone in. He came back and he was like, oh, the goal's been disallowed. I've got, I've got to go and have another shot. The goal being disallowed. Had another <laughs> shot, came back. And then the next time it reloaded, the goal was back reinstated. Uh, so back off to the table for more shots Sam went. But it was just, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever been more confused to walk back into a place and see how people were watching a game of football than <laughs> Sam and his two friends watching the teletext. Um, it, wasn't, yeah. Yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't ideal, um, but I couldn't get any reception. I couldn't figure out how to log onto the Wi-Fi and I couldn't figure out how to use the television to watch any of the moving pictures that it offers. So this is how I... Just use I, your phone. Just use your phone, surely. I had nothing. I had no, nothing, no reception, no Wi-Fi. None nothing, at all. Nothing would load. Really? Nothing. I just, this is the only way. I think your brain wasn't working, mate, yeah, on the phone and the TV. At the, bottom, at the bottom of the well, this is the only way I could figure out how to get information. Mm. Absolutely. Um, right. So the, the only thing that beat this extraordinary episode um, was that we went to a karaoke bar on Friday night and Sam's two best men put him up to sing a song for karaoke. And they were, we were talking about all the options that we could put Sam up to sing that would be suitably embarrassing that would you know make him squirm and we actually decided that we were probably gonna you know start him off easy we were like we'll give him a song that he knows everyone knows um because that will be the way that that will get him started it won't be too harsh to, to get him going so we wrote sam up to sing sweet caroline um which as you well know everybody knows apart from sam ty who doesn't know how sweet caroline goes um Honestly. now sam took the microphone you know kind of regrettably in 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 many ways he sam didn't look like he was enjoying himself and dean at that point turned to me and goes i bet you sam can sing um <laughs> you didn't can, can confirm to you that, 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 that well we don't wrong. know because he did not sing <laughs> he did not sing sam then proceeded to read out the words of sweet caroline like Wrong. Spoken word. No, no, yeah, no, just like a spoken word speech. It was it was honestly one of the most bizarre things <laughs> I've ever heard. And you know, on top of all of this, the the DJ is sort of staring blankly at Sam, going, What's going on? And he finishes the song. And and at the end he goes, Thank you to Sam for for doing that. Apparently the only man in the entire world who has never heard Sweet Caroline before. Um, oh, yeah. It was, it was is, unbelievable. What, I've never seen anything like it. Apart from that. Oh, it's more of a stage Sam then sat issue. there. Sam sat there for 10 minutes after this, 
with the most vacant, far away look in his eyes, like he'd been traumatized. Like Sam was suffering from PTSD. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah. It was a little bit sad at that times. So I was looking at him going, is he all right? But um, it, unfortunately, it wasn't as sad as it had been funny to watch him do Sweet Caroline. So this is number one in the list. I pulled, I pulled yeah. back through at the end. I needed a little bit of time to myself to recover. Um, I'm not a fan of public singing. If you can't tell by that story, not a fan at all. However, went into the stag with a can-do attitude and did everything that I was asked to do. You did even, do what you were asked. Even you even, did. You did do that. Like you weren't. You you showed no emotion or expression throughout any of the things you were asked to do. You just got on it. You like like a child who has been told to do stuff and just and just doing it. But well, that's, I mean, you did do it. To be fair, I, mean, especially, I, I really do hope you take this acquiescence and bring it into things we do at Ranks FC um, because <laughs> I've seen you say yes to things. That you didn't want to do before, um, and and therefore get on with it. And I'm I'm, I'm hopeful that this is something that carries forward into our new uh, into our company. This, this is just the deal that me and my two best men have. It's it's one weekend. You have to dress as we tell you, and you have to do what we tell you. And then once the weekend's over, that's it. You have to do it again for the rest of your life. And that's why I ended up doing these things and more. Like when I did a bleep test in the middle of Liverpool. I was going to say, is there, any, is there anything else that you would have added, Dean? But I think the bleep test Yeah, was it was the bleep it. test really, wasn't it? I mean, it was, uh, yeah. Exhausting. The cone, the, as the cones went down, they dropped the cones in the middle of the city centre. It was like quite a busy time on a Friday night as well. Um, a mixture really of like young, of like families who were like at the end of their night, probably heading back soon and then, yeah, like there are other people just heading out to pubs, and then there's Sam yeah, in full doing, kit, in full in kit, football head, kit. He's got shin pads to on, and there was a whistle involved as well. I think wasn't there, there was with a, a whistle? whistle. Yeah. I had to keep going. I was booking people. Remember, I had to walk up to that table oh, in the yeah, restaurant. Yeah. And book in something. the restaurant, you had to go and book a table of people. That went down alright. The bleep test. Someone joined in with the bleep test, and I tried to push him over. Do you remember that? Yeah, but yeah, he, I do remember he, that. He, he, he was showing off in front of his girlfriend. He was he was a knobhead because he came in. He came in late. I'd already done like fifteen laps, and he came in and outran me because I was knackered. Yeah, I saw it, and I watched him afterwards, and he he was just showing off. He was fun. Yeah, that's it. Well, it was a good weekend, Sam. And you've uh, again, I would say, you survived, and that's the main thing. You're still here, I'm, you're I'm still, still here, here, and you're you're still getting married, as far as I'm concerned. So, um, so that's the, as far as, that's the good bits. as far as I'm aware, <laughs> as far as I'm aware, Sam is still here and still getting married. So, those are the two main objectives fulfilled uh, of of this weekend, I think. Mm. Um, and with that, lads, I think it might be time to call this a day. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Staggy Ty. Uh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> uh, thanks, mate. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week where we'll be able to dissect who actually won the Ballon d'Or and if Sam's rankings came to fruition. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We'll see you next week. Take it easy. Peace.